That's a good old one. Fanny Crosby. In fact, that song really uh, goes along with the, the kind of series that we're in and what we've been talking about. You may be seated. Assurance. Blessed assurance. Knowing that I'm on the right side of God, that God and, and I are okay, that He has accepted me, that He, he has made me His own. Um, we've been trying to answer that, and, and I think that's the most important question you could ever probe in your life, and, and that is this. Can I know that I'm okay with my Creator? Can I have assurance that I'm on the right side of God? Uh, can I know that I won't have to stand before Him as my judge and be condemned, but He would welcome me and grant me eternal life? And if there is a God, and if this God uh, created us and possesses creative rights over the universe and over us, and if he's spoken and told us what his design and desire is for us, and if he will hold us accountable and judge us, then I want to ask a question. Do you know that you're on the right side of that equation? Do you know that you are a child of God? Um, uh, Friday, I, I, I taped... Um, Billy Graham's funeral. Did any of you see some of that? Billy Graham's funeral. And um, here's, here's a man who for six decades has been proclaiming this truth. Um, all these times, spoken to more people about the Christian faith than anybody else. 185 countries, uh, mass, mass meetings of thousands upon thousands of people. Uh, TV and radio having spoken uh, to tens of millions of people. And uh, if you listen to Billy Graham, you would understand that he was so intent, uh, that he was so committed uh, to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, that he wanted people to know how they could be accepted with God, how they could be forgiven of their sins and rescued from judgment and to have eternal life and would go to be with the Lord when they die. Now, here's the thing. The Bible is really, really clear that there are only two positions you can be in. You're either in with God or you're out. You're either accepted with him or rejected by him. You are either forgiven or under condemnation. Listen to what the the Bible says in John's gospel. Uh, John says this in John 3.18, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever doesn't believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Let's skip down a few verses to John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the, the wrath of God remains on him. There are only two options. There are only two positions. There, there are only two places you can be. One or the other. There's no kind of, sort of, maybe. It's either you're in or you're out. And the question that we've been trying to probe is this. How do I know for sure? If this is the most important, most critical issue of my life. How do I know? Can I know? Can I have a certainty? I remember talking to a friend when I was like a teenager. And we were talking about spiritual things. And and he just told me, you know, you can't know. 
Just do your best and hope for it. You can't know. And so we've been trying to answer that question. And we've, uh, we've done this by applying two tests and, and, uh, or some different tests. We've talked about two tests. And we've called these uh, uh, objective tests. They're objective tests and applying them. And the first objective test is the gospel test. That is, God loved us. He sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins. And having lived, lived a, an absolutely sinless and pure life, he gave his life as a sacrifice to, to take upon himself the punishment for my sin. God raised him from the dead, gave him victory over sin and death. And, and, and here's the gospel. Jesus says, if you believe this, if you put your faith and your trust in this, then you are my child. And so we have this objective test I, that I've called the gospel test. Then you are forgiven, you are accepted, and you're on the right side of God. Um, and so the question is, for all of us, are we trusting in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone for the salvation of our soul and our body and our person? Uh, or are we trusting Jesus in something else? And the only answer that will ever work when we stand before God is that the only hope we have, the only thing that we are trusting in is what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And we put our faith and our trust and our confidence and our belief in that and that alone. And when we say that, he says, you can have blessed assurance. 1 John five thirteen. I write these things to you who believe, who have faith, who trust who put your confidence in Jesus. Uh, you, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants us to know. And, and so there's the test, the gospel test. And then last week we looked at what we called the truth test. Truth matters. And so we believe in Jesus, but here's the thing. We have to believe the right thing about Jesus and this is a group of people that John is writing to that are, are disturbed. Um, and and they, they have caused problems. They have sown bad doctrine. And it's like in our day, truth doesn't matter. We talked about that last week. It, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. As long as you hold sin- sincerely to what you believe. That doesn't square with the word of God. He said this in terms of this truth test uh, that... Um, that we need to believe some things about Jesus Christ. We need to believe that Jesus was the Messiah who came uh, fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament. We need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son. He is fully divine. He is fully God. But he's also, thirdly, fully human. And people who reject that, John says, they're not on the right side of God. You can't just believe anything about Jesus. Uh, You need to believe the truth about Jesus. So we talked about those as objective tests that we can apply to our life and say, do I believe what God says about his son? Uh, and that's, that was very critical. Well, today I want to start us on, on a couple of weeks looking at moral tests. So in other words, how do we, how do we come to understand um, where we're at? It's subjective. It's a subjective test. And based on the subjective test, 
we want to look at our lives and see if there are some things that would betray that we are God's children or we're not God's children. And so in this moral test, now I want to look at, we said there are two positions. You're either in or out. You're either forgiven or you're not forgiven. You're under, you stand under judgment. So I want to look um, um, first and, and I want to uh, read uh, this passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at. I'll put it up on the screen and you can follow along as we read. It's from 1 John uh, chapter 3, verses 4 to 10 is the passage we're looking at. And here's what John says. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he, that is Jesus, appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. That's Jesus. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Here's what John gives us as a test, a moral test. It's a subjective test because it's applied to how we live our life. And here he kind of sets up for us uh, kind of a, a contrast in these two parties who are true and genuine children of God and those who are not. And, and so here's what it looks like in these two groups. We have non-believers and we have believers. And as he describes the non-believers, he tells us they practice sin and lawlessness. But the believers don't persist in sin. Next. Uh, Non-believers don't practice righteousness. They don't live rightly before God. But believers practice righteousness. They live righteously. Next. Believers, non-believers, have not seen or known Jesus. They can't lay claim to knowing Jesus. Believers live in Jesus. Non-believers are of the devil. Believers, uh, just back one, please. Uh, Non-believers, believers practice righteousness. Next They haven't known or seen Jesus, but believers live in Jesus. Next. People who are not believers are of the devil. Believers, God's seed lives in them. And finally, people who are not believers are children of the devil. Believers are born of God and children of God. So we go through this passage and we see this contrast in these two different camps. These two different people. And, and, and here's what he wants us to see. Uh, you know, and, and I don't know about you, but this can be a little bit disquieting for us because we just said uh, this, that when we line that up, people who sin 
are not children of God. At least, that, did, did you pick that up? And I'm thinking, ouch, I sin. Does this mean I'm disqualified somehow? Does this mean that I'm not a true believer because I do sin? I'm in trouble, and, and if you were willing to admit it, you would say you're in trouble too. So what I want to do is I want to go through this passage and look at it and draw some conclusions to help us to understand, to be able to look into the Word of God and have a sense of where we stand in this whole thing. So the first thing I want you to look at is this. People who persistently sin are not true believers. People who persistently sin are not true believers. Uh, You know the definition of sin? Uh, The word sin in the Bible is really a word that means to miss the mark. That is, God has set the target. He's made the mark. Here's how I want you to to live. And, And we take our life and we miss the mark. We don't hit what God wants of us. But in this passage, it's very interesting uh, what he says. He says in uh, chapter 3, verses 4 and 6, everyone who sins breaks the law. And in fact, here's his definition of sin here. Sin is lawlessness. That is, there is a God who has given us a law, who's told us what he wants. And what we have here is uh, a person who sins breaks the law. And what, what sin really is, is lawlessness. I'm going to give you another word for this that I think, defiance, defiance. Have you seen a defiant toddler? You know what that looks like? That's defiance, right? You sit down. You know, and even if you force them down, you know in their little brain they're saying, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. Defiance defiance and and I'm going to do my own thing I every time I think of doing my own thing I think of Frank Sinatra I did it my way it's my way I don't have to follow anybody I don't have to obey anybody I don't have to bow to anybody it's me I do it my way nobody tells me what to do not even God tells me what to do think about it Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Lawlessness. Defiance against God. And what God demands, we rebel against. And Jesus, he says, came to take sins away. Jesus came to purify us and to get rid of sin. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming, He said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to get rid of sin. But the people who are not children of God are bent on lawlessness, not following him, doing their own thing, sinning continually because Jesus came to fix that problem. He appeared that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. He's perfect. He's sinless. Next. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Pretty straight shooting, isn't it? If you live in him, you can't keep on sinning. And if you continue to sin, you can say you're a believer. You can say you're a follower of Christ. You say you're a Christian, but here's the bottom line. You're not. You've neither seen him nor have you known him. You know, that's really important because Jesus said, 
this is, this is uh, eternal life. That you know God, the Father, and his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. You've got to know him. You've got to be in relationship with him. And he says, you don't know him. You don't know him at all. I know a guy who was um, a kind of saw himself as a hot shot. And uh, he was bragging to me that uh, his ministry, that the, uh, that the general governor of Canada had commended him on his ministry. And you know what? <laughs> the governor general didn't know him from Adam. He, he, if, he's, if he would say, he's, he's my friend, I know him, I'm close to him. That was, that was a load of garbage. There was nothing of that. And, and these are people who claim to know God. But do but you know God, what God says to them? He says, I never knew you. I mean, you hear those, those words in Scripture, people who, who think they're on the right side of God, and Jesus says, I never knew them. They're, they have nothing to do with me. So because Jesus came to fix this problem, we can't continue to live in sin and claim that we're believers People who persistently sin are not true believers. Well, secondly, um, in, in the next, what people do is what they are, John tells us. What people do is what they are. Look at uh, chapter 3 and verse 7 of 1 John. Dear children, you know, John speaks with such warmth and caring of, of a father. Dear children, Do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he, that is Jesus, is righteous. So we had false teachers here, and they were were people who would claim that they're righteous, but their life didn't. Didn't, it didn't stand up to that. They didn't live a righteous life. And so what people do is what they are. Um, you know, here we have a principle manifested that what we manifest outwardly is just what's happening inwardly. And so if you live an unrighteous life, you are inside an unrighteous person. Because these false teachers are promoting this area and there's this test of integrity that who we are and who we claim to be is what we are and what we live out in, before other people. You can, you can make a claim that you're a believer, but if you claim you're a believer, then you need to live a righteous life just as Jesus lived a righteous life. And if you make that claim, I'm a believer, but I, I just like live like the devil, uh, talk is cheap, and you got to back it up with your actions. you got to put up or shut up and sit down. Uh, because God only... Uh, righteous people are people who do righteous things. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, by your fruit you will know them. By what they do, what they produce in their life, you'll know what's inside. And uh, he said, you see bad fruit, bad tree. You see good fruit, good tree. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it's going to shine through in righteousness in your life. And irrespective of what your claim is, it needs to be borne out in action. And so to know and to gain certainty, we need to understand that we don't persist in sin and we live righteously. And, uh, by virtue, uh, and next, 
we understand and, and have certainty to, by virtue of a family likeness that we have. Look at this. Like father, like uh, child. Uh, like father, like child. Our lifestyle behave, uh, b- betrays our parentage. Um, when, when, we're, uh, when, when I've been home at my parents' place, sometimes the phone will ring and I'm closest to the phone or nobody's there and I'll pick up the phone. I say, hello. And somebody on the other line will say, Harold, how's it going? And, and I said, well, no, it's, it's Kevin. Oh, you sound so much like your father. And uh, uh, so, so when you're, when you're a, a child of a parent, you bear resemblance to the parent. And, and so when my father calls or somebody says, boy, do you ever look like your dad? You're looking more like your dad with that gray hair. And, 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 and sometimes when, when, when Gerda wants to give me a shot, she'll say, because everything our parents do may not be everything is the greatest thing. And so she may pick up a trait my father has, and she'd say, oh, you're just like your father in that. And i look at her and say, what are you talking about? Because we become like, the, the child becomes like the parent. We have that same DNA. We, it is stamped in us. And so we look like, we talk like, we behave like. And his point here is, when we talk about this, is that we bear a family resemblance in the body of Christ, our spiritual parentage. And so in 1 John 3, verses 8 to 10, we read this. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. From day one, the devil has opposed God. He has rebelled against God. He's consistently defied God and, and promoted wickedness and, and, uh, and immorality, and he was defiant. And if you have those kind of characteristics, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because that's the devil's nature, lawlessness, defiance. And, and it's what he does and how he lives, and, and that comes out in you. But he goes on to say here, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You can't be, you can't be fooling around with garbage over here that God hates and claim to be his child. That's what he's saying. He says, um, the one who's born of God, uh, no one who's born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him. God places in you his word. God places in you his spirit. God places in you his DNA. You are his child and you reflect who he is. You can't go on sinning because you've been born of God. Next. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. You live out your family heritage. If you sin, you align yourself with Satan in a sinful life. But by contrast, those people who are born of God bear the the likeness, the family likeness of God. And they can't go on. They can't go on sinning. They they just will not continue to persist in that. And this distinguishes who's on which side. 
So this moral test says that if you are a genuine believer, somehow your life is going to bear that out. It'll be marked by your life, a life that's living in righteousness, a life that resists sin, that reflects a likeness to the character, character and the purity of God. Now I want to tie this all together with you with a few cautions as we, as we think about this. And the first caution is this. We're not advocating sinless perfection. See, we can read this and say, whoever sins, and I'm thinking like, I'm a sinner. I sin. It's not like I don't sin. And what I'm saying in this, this passage is not advocating for some kind of sinless perfection. Look at in, uh, in 1 John 1, verses 8 to 10. Here's what he says. Anyone who does not... First uh, John 1, verse 8, please. In fact, I'll just read it for you here. Here's what he says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you as a Christian say, I don't have sin in me. That, and what he's talking about here is the propensity to sin. He, he's talking about, about people who, who feel that tug of sin. If you say, I don't have that, then he says on here that, uh, he says this, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. Remember we said truth matters? You claim sin has no, no tug in my life. You're lying. You're, you're living in self-deception. And look at verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. If we say, if we say I don't have I don't have a bent to sin, and I don't sin. I don't sin. You're lying. Because you do sin. All of us sin. Look at the verse that is right in between this. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're not claiming here some kind of sinless perfection. God hasn't expected that we will never ever sin again because we've we've hit this pinnacle. In fact, look at chapter 2, the first couple verses. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So what are we saying here? This this sounds daunting. First, I want to tell you that ongoing battle with sin will will happen in all of our lives. It will be unabated. It will be continuous for us. But the practice of sin, the ongoing practice of sin, it's not that we'll never sin. It's that what will mark our life is a, a wanton disregard for Jesus Christ, for his word, and for what he wants of us. And we're going to do wrong and do wrong and do wrong, and we'll never stop, we'll never be challenged on that, caught up on it at all. In fact, when we sin, we're going to feel terrible. And we're going to confess it to God. Oh God, I've let you down, I've, I've failed you, and I confess my sin. You know what confession is? Confession is agreeing with God. It's, it's agreeing with God and saying, you know what, Lord? I, I feel so bad. I don't deserve your mercy because of, of my sin. But I thank you 
that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just, and he'll forgive us our sin, and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and that, that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father who's saying, Father, I took this upon, I, I take their sin upon me, put their sin to my account. And so here we are. And so there, there's two, there are two extremes that we need to guard against. One is this. I don't sin at all. Wrong. And sin runs my life. But the person, the person who uh, lives out, even with sinning, and, and we see God changing them, that's the person who's a true believer. Not a person that gives not a care for their sinful life and, and they persist in it over and over. Secondly, this does not, uh, this does not uh, nullify the gospel of grace. Now he said there's only one thing that gets you into heaven and that is I am trusting solely in Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for me to give me a right standing with God that God will forgive me and accept me. And, and if you listen to this, the person who sins, then you've got to do righteous, you've got to do righteous. And we read this and we're thinking, wait a minute. I thought we couldn't do anything for our salvation. This sounds like I have to work for my salvation. This sounds like I've, I've got to have these, these uh, good, good uh, deeds and, and uh, righteous life. And then God will accept me. That sounds like I have to work for it. Not that it's a free gift. For by grace are you saved, Paul says, through faith, and this is not of yourselves, not of works. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I'm saying this does not nullify the grace of God. It does not nullify the only way we have to God is through Jesus Christ. What this is, is this is showing that we have truly made that decision when we take God's uh, position and his attitude towards sin. So those verses I just read from the Apostle Paul, for by grace you are saved through faith, when he gets to verse 10, we see we stop at verse 9, but he goes on in verse 10, and he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works. We weren't saved by good works, but when we live our life to please God, you see the, the, that uh, those good works are happening. And so this is not an attempt to work and get God on side with you. This is, uh, this is James says this, faith without works is dead. James 2, 17, faith without works is dead. If you've got faith and it's a genuine faith, God is going to be working you uh, to, to, uh, that you would have a, a disposition, a negative disposition towards sin, and you'd see that change in your life. You know, there's some people who, who are so insecure in their relationship with God that in, that in some places, every week they go and ask God to save them again and save them again and say they, they don't have to do that. They have to confess their sins, but it doesn't mean they've lost something. They're a child of God, and it's proven by their attitude towards sin. Uh, thirdly, the issue here is assurance of salvation. It's knowing for sure. That's what we're talking about. How do I know? And, and how do I know? It's because I, I look at these tests that John has given me and see, does my life square with these kind of things? And what he wants is for people to be sure about their faith. So how can I know? Uh, how can I be sure? That's the key. It's not... 
Have I accepted God's grace or not? It's, do I have assurance of that? And here's what I want to tell you. If you're, if you're living like the devil and you're doing wrong and you, you don't care and you're just in wanton regard, then I want to tell you this. You shouldn't. You shouldn't have a great sense of assurance of God's love. Uh, uh, that God has accepted you. If you can live that kind of life and it doesn't mean anything to you, you need to stop and say, I can't really be sure that I'm God's side because I'm not living like God told me to live. This is about assurance. It's not about your salvation. And so when I grieve over my sin and I confess it and I find freedom and I rest sin working in my life and I turn away from things that are wrong, I see God's power working in me and in that, um, I, I, I find confidence. Yes, I see God working in me. Uh, now, I want to I say, you know, so many of us are desperate, f- for instance, to see our children follow Christ. And some of you may have a child, and, and maybe at your knee, that child was five years old, and, and they invited Christ to be their Savior at your knee, and you prayed with them. And you watch that child grow up and walk away from God and not go to church and not live the kind of life that God has. And and you're clinging to, yes, but I remember when little Johnny prayed at my knee. And I'm saying, that doesn't give you assurance. You can't have assurance. And, And we desperately want assurance. So we think, well, he prayed a prayer when he was five. And there's not a stipple in his life that, that betrays anything that he's following Christ. And what I'm saying is, This is about assurance. And when we're in that position, we don't have assurance. That's what I'm saying. If it's about us or if we're looking at somebody else. But fourthly, we can't play God. See, we don't know in a person's heart. So we can't make those judgments. We leave that to God. But what we can uh, do is we can look at a person's life and see, is there fruit is there, is there the fruit of righteousness? Is this a person? And that gives us, uh, that gives us a, a greater sense of assurance. But we can't necessarily look into a person's heart and know where they stand with God. And sometimes we see them walking away from God and we don't know, is this the settled disposition of their heart or, or what? So don't play God in somebody's life. Don't you stand and, and, and dare speak for God and, and pass judgment on where they're at. But what we can do is we can examine the fruit. And if we don't see the fruit, we're going, it doesn't look very convincing to me, but we leave that with God. Finally, our lives should pro- be progressively become more and more like Jesus. That's the bottom line. Our lives should be coming more and more like Jesus. As we see him working in us, as we practice righteousness, as we turn away from sin, as we see, as we see the image of Jesus Christ um, in, in that family likeness burned into us. In Romans eight twenty eight. he says, you've been predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. And so I want to ask you, when you look back at your life over the past six months, the past year, and say, have I grown in Christ-likeness? Do I see the evidence of the Spirit working in my life? Then if you see that, what I want to say to you is that gives us great assurance of what God is doing in us. And that helps us in that way. But if you look at your life and you say, you know what, I, I, um, I don't care. 
I don't care about God. I don't care about his thing. You can't have that same kind of assurance. And uh, what we're looking for as assurance of, that we're children of God is that we see God operational in us. And uh, what a joy that is. And, and, and uh, my prayer is for us that as we look into Holy Scripture and we're confronted with the mirror of Scripture and it shows us who we are and what we are, that we would have great joy in seeing the hand of God in our life and working in us. And maybe you say, you know what, I, I've never become a Christian or I did pray a prayer once but it hasn't meant anything in my life. Then what I want to say to you is check it out. And, and uh, after our service, we'll have, uh, we'll have an opportunity. Uh, if you want to come and talk to somebody, you can come and talk to them. Now this morning, we're going to have Celebrate Communion. And uh, I'll ask the, uh, the uh, musicians to come. And I'm going to ask our servers if you'll come and take your place. Jesus died to take the place of my sin. And when I come to this table with the bread and with the wine,